walking back. Oh god. <laughs> everything is bad. <laughs> yeah. Delete everything. <laughs> Welcome back to the Oxen Plugged, where we don't know how to start the fucking podcast. The bot was so delayed. Why would it do I'm, this to us? Personally. I don't know. <laughs> I, I can do a, a, a one for real if you guys want. No, I like this. Just go with it. It's just this is on brand. Let's just keep it. They can all be winners, folks. I'm Crispy Crap. <laughs> I am Mr. J. Witt. <laughs> I am Alien. So tonight we were going to continue what we kind of uh, ended the last episode that Crispy and I recorded, just the two of us. And we thought we would talk about some of our personal uh, pet peeves in science fiction. In the last episode, I brought up my personal disdain for the fact that in Star Wars, you have to, co they're constantly introducing more and more Jedi that somehow survived the purge when it was like none of them were supposed to. Uh, Crispy introduced his uh, displeasure with the way uh, shields exist in most sci fi technology as far as like ships and stuff like that. Um, and then we also talked about how, uh, like, cannons and guns and stuff, right? Ah, uh, yes, the turbo lasers. Yes, like how they have, like, recoil, even though they're laser weapons. They don't have recoil. So yeah. we, we thought that would make, like, a, a, a pretty interesting episode that we could talk about some other stuff. So, uh, yeah, welcome to uh, Sci-Fi Pet Peeves. Yes, get, get ready for a lot of well actuallys. No, I'm kidding. Maybe some hot takes. I don't know. Depends on who's listening to this and what their love of sci-fi is like. I know I started out with mine with with Star Wars, but I, I've got another one that I'm just sick to death of that did come up in a previous episode. And it's something that we keep seeing repeated again and again and again. It's been in Star Trek, um, Bicentennial Man. Um, you've seen it in uh, Terminator and countless other examples. And, the, and my, really, the only one that I don't remember it really showing up in is, is strangely enough, is, is Star Wars. But that is the, uh, the Pinocchio Syndrome, where we're presented with an artificial life form a droid, a robot, what have you, an AI that wants to be human, that is striving to become more human. And I just, I just don't buy it. I, I just feel like if we had an artificial life form, it would seem that it, it would consider itself more superior and lacking the flaws of humanity. So I'm just, I'm just kind of tired of that same trope of, you know, of artificial life that wants to be human um it just seems like it's it's you know it maybe if we got a more original take on it again i'd be more interested but i'm just i'm just bored with the same old one over and over first first of all i just want to say you coined something there with the term pinocchio syndrome because i could totally see like a mental health therapist for ai coming up with that as a definition for some sort of ai <laughs> mental illness which that's a fucking interesting topic in and of itself Ooh, but yeah um it's funny you mentioned that the the latest episode of of uh, Lower Decks that just aired goes to the Daystrom Institute, where they essentially have a prison for these megalomaniacal uh, AIs, 
and it's like a prison and they're doing like group therapy of these AIs for like, I've come to realize that I don't need to subjugate all humans and stuff like that. And, and so it's funny you mentioned it that way. Cause that... See, I, I, I just picture like a bunch of servers in a circle and they're all making like the AOL startup noise at each other. It's just a bunch of version of clippies, like evil clippies. Oh no. <laughs> That's even worse. So it seems like you want to take over humanity. Would you like help with that? But but I am with you there, though. It's like, um, I, I feel like that trope has definitely been done to death a lot, especially considering, like, I, I will tell you the most egregious and stupid version of that that I've seen, and that's Battlestar Galactica. Yes, as much as I enjoy Battlestar Galactica, I think the idea of Cylons wanting to become more human was real dumb. I think that if they were truly a machine species, if they wanted to become more organic, they would not be something that's human. It would be something that's more efficient and powerful than a human being, because we're not exactly the most durable species. Like, another example is Isaac in the Orville, who is a Kalon, which is an entirely artificial species. You know, they're essentially robot, android, AI, what have you. Definitely not evil. Totally not. Yes, spoilers. Um, <laughs> but it's about his journey of trying, you know, the, between seasons one, two, three, and I think four, I think they did four, about him learning more and trying to emulate, trying to, you know, integrate into humanity. And it's interesting that the example they did with him is he's trying to emulate, but at the same time, he also understands he's not and can't be. So he's not trying to become more human. He's just strictly trying to figure out how to more. He's trying to figure out how to act it. Yeah. How to act in, how to essentially assimilate into it while not being human, which is a more, which, which means that's a, that's an interesting take, but it's still, it's very, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, which to me is more interesting than data for instance, from Trek, where he's just in a constant state of trying to be more human, trying to become more human. I, I haven't yet found that example of that that is compelling enough that tells me why would an artificial life form want to be more like us? I don't understand that. I can understand them wanting to understand us, but why would they want to be more like us? I don't... I don't I've just I've just not found that. And why do we consistently keep seeing that? I think that kind of just plays up to the philosophy idea of what is human and um, how do we define someone as a human? I think that's a lot of what that's supposed to represent. I mean, I think you have specifically an episode in Star Trek, uh, The Next Generation involving Data, where um, they want to take him apart to understand him more. Mm -hmm. But Picard Major argues man. for him as a sentient human being, yeah. Um, I think that's where a lot of that speaks to. And I think that what you're saying about um, what's his name from the Orville, I, I, I haven't seen the series, although from what I've heard, it's really good. Um, but he, he um, him wanting to understand humans to understand them, not to be them. I think that's a more interesting way of exploring it because you're looking at a machine intelligence. That's very logical and factual trying to understand the emotional nature of a lot of what human is versus like, I want to be you. It's like, 
No, you don't. My back hurts. <laughs> and, and also, like in, in particularly in the Orville, like he goes on this journey where he spoilers he actually enters into a full blown relationship with a member of the crew, like an intimate romantic relationship, even though he's a computer. And have questions about that, but continue. And at one point, where you they explore how he. Even though he can't feel the emotion, he understands what it means to his partner, what the, what the need for the emotion, what the need for this expression is. And so he figures out, to the best of his ability, how to do that. And it, it's, which again, which harkens back to the whole ending of, you know, Wrath of Khan, where... Kirk is talking about Spock and he's like, you know, in all my travels and all the people I've ever met, his was the, you know, his was the most human. It's kind of like that thing where, again, it's this journey of this artificial thing to try to be something more than it is. But in that instance, it, I think it was well, more or less well done, but it's just this overarching trope of artificial life form wants to be human. And I just, I, don't really see i just haven't i just haven't sold to me why they would want to be because like if you look yeah. at the antithesis of that more often than not the artificial life forms detest humanity detest organics to detest that for all of its imperfections for all of its things so where's the logic in wanting to be more like it i don't i just don't i don't get it and and more often than not yeah the examples that we get of that are trite yeah, I agree. I think um, I think really what a lot of you're saying speaks down to is the idea of a machine trying to understand what what humans are to empathize with humans, not not necessarily the logic of it. You know, um, I think that really is what it speaks to directly. I, um, maybe especially with you know the Kalon, but yeah, it, and a lot of it is just so ham fisted. It's just not interesting and not really groundbreaking i i totally agree with you there but that's that's just that's just one that i'm i'm tired of seeing redone again and again and again i hear you and not and not seeing anything new like blade runner handled it really well in that mm -hmm. the replicants they didn't want to be human they just wanted to be recognized as having the same rights or, or it's just as being the same value they they wanted to live. Yes, they lived. They experienced. They 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 yeah. just wanted to feel like they mattered, that their existence mattered. That was an interesting take. They didn't want to be human. They just wanted to be recognized as that mat as they mattered too. Yeah, because you gotta remember they had a short lifespan compared to humans. Um, right. Theirs theirs was much shorter. That's why they went to the uh, what's the name of the company. Um, the CEO of that company in Blade Runner. Um, uh, it's it's. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, I drank it away at this Blade point. Yeah. Wayland uh, something. Oh, I know that. Yeah, yeah, Wayland Utani. That's it. No, um, but they they went to him to get they wanted their lives extended because they had very relatively short lives. That's that's part of what the whole Tears in the Rain speech is about. You know, it's it's 
having these moments in life and you know even though he's got a short life and he's dying he cherishes the things that he's seen because it's it's his life experience it's it's things that have left an imprint on him and that it it sort of a core is what it means to be human in a lot of ways um it just means to live like I, yeah. I, I i may not be important in the grand scheme of everything but i lived i existed yeah. these experiences happened and they mattered and you know I, do i not have a right to in some small infinitesimal way to go on and continue for that yeah like it just more often than not it's not handled well the way that that was no it's not it, uh, and that's that's the problem with a lot of tropes is or not even just necessarily sci-fi tropes, just things in writing. Um, there, there's, there's a lot of ways to portray more complex and um, topical issues than a lot of media does. A lot of media just tends to ham-fist a lot of it or just doesn't really get into really what the emotional core is. A lot of it just tries to shove it in your face. Um, you know, there, there are certain topics which... I don't want to get too in the weeds into just because, you know, well, we might end up getting into the, the Chumbawamba end of things, but there's just certain topics that I think are worth exploring in fiction and writing that some things handle a lot better than others. They're, they're, like, there's some things in the Orville that, like you said, um, there, there's other examples I can think of that really handle issues of today in a very interesting way versus other things mediums that i've seen you know and it, like good writing can really help you empathize with what the subject is well and i think that's where the problem comes into is is for a lot of these it comes down to lazy writing because you have tropes are easy you can take a trope or a a a rehashed concept and be like we're gonna just use this because it's something that's been done before it's easy storytelling device and that's where sometimes it gets into where you start reusing and doing the same thing over and over again. And that's where it can get old. Man, your, your, your topic is much more philosophically deep than mine was in terms of <laughs> things I, I'm sick of the tropes. I was going more the visual end of things because one of the things that I have hate, I hate in terms of tropes, which is something I've seen a lot more of, um, you know, within the past decade or so is a visual element. And that is floaty bits. Do you know what I mean when I say floaty bits? P please explain. Okay, so um, the two examples I'm thinking of are one is the newer Halo games, like Halo 4 onward, and the other is uh, actually in Star Trek um, Discovery, everyone's favorite Star Trek series, uh, when they go to the far future. I know you said that sarcastically. I like Discovery. I've said it many times. I'll die on that hill. I enjoy Discovery. I understand why people that's don't fine. like it. That's fine. And that's valid, but I do like Discovery. Please continue. Okay. So what I mean by floaty bits, you know in Discovery when they see the future Voyager, how its mm -hmm. engines aren't attached to anything. They're just kind of floating there. Yes, because they have programmable matter, which allows them to have... <laughs> Parts that are technically that. attached to the whole. I that that's the thing. I I hate when you have visual elements that aren't 
built into a design and they're just kind of floating there for whatever reason. Things that don't make sense. The the forerunner rep weapons in Halo 4 and onwards, they or the for the forerunner machines themselves were there was no explanation or mechanical connection to how these things were. It was just bits floating together. And it's just the most lazy visual type of design, I feel. I don't think and it's it, it lazy. Just, it's just, it's, it does look nice. But like I I uh, I don't like it. I like to be able to contrast very fancy, nice alien things with clunky human power things. I do too, but at, there's there's better ways to do that than just being like, oh, and this is a couple bits floating together. And I'm not saying I don't like hate anti-gravity technology. Uh, the Protoss from StarCraft, they've got plenty of floaty bits and like lasers and stuff. But I would argue that they all seem pretty reasonable. But when it's things like a starship engines just floating next to the starship, that takes me out of it. That, that really takes me out of it. It invokes mystery and shock and awe. I like it. I don't. I, <laughs> I, I will die on this hill. I don't, I don't like floaty bits. I see them as a lazy visual element to things um, a, a lot of the time. To me, the key is as long as it's consistent internally. If this alien technology is floaty bits, hell yeah. That's part of it, is that um, in Halo, originally with the Forerunner technology, um, I mean, you had anti-gravity. Yeah, they've got like the big floaty chairs and stuff. Yeah, but it's all mechanically connected. It looks advanced technology, but you don't just have bits floating on it. Um, Like the Sentinels and things in the original Halo games, like they were floating alien machines, but they still had mechanical limbs and things attached. It wasn't just bits floating to it. Like, then you get to the later Halo series, and you have just just stuff floating where it doesn't make sense. Like, the the alien machines, the Forerunners in the later games, here, I'll, I will show you what exactly what I mean when I say, like, when I say floaty bits. Look, like, this is the Prometheans from Halo 4. Their, their limbs aren't even attached to the body. They're just floating there. It just looks so... Hell yeah. It's a Raymond. Me. <laughs> this isn't Raymond. This is Halo. <laughs> they have thousands of years of lore. Look, here's the thing. When you have programmable matter, this is matter that you can I'm going to mail you glitter. I'm going to mail you so much glitter. You can make it do. You can just tell it to do what you want it to do. So if you've got arms or limbs or weapons, or in the case of Discovery, nacelles, you can just make them float out there while still being like some way attached to the ship. It's kind of like the vectorable thrust technology that you get in modern fighters. It just allows you to be more maneuverable. Come on, man. That's future tech. It's understandable, right? Like, I don't have a problem with programmable matter. I like programmable matter. My issue is just the floating part of it. It's just, oh, uh, God, it just drives me up a fucking wall. I just think it's a lazy way of doing things visually. See, I think you just have, like, connection issues. I'm going Ooh. to send you a 12-ounce <laughs> bottle of Mountain Dew just filled with <laughs> glitter. I swear to God. Okay, you have so to much glitter all over your living room. It looks really cool. To you. So, okay, I'm going to distract us now. Because my complaint is... I figured it out. Don't worry, I figured it out. Um, 
if you have a hard sci-fi setting, um, and like the point is, it's a what like relatively serious um, within the technical bounds. You've got all this stuff going on, but nanotechnology comes along and it's fucking space magic, and no one blinks once. Are you talking shit on the expanse? Um, I don't think I got to the nanotech of the expanse, but I see it all the fucking time where it's like, no, 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 no. See, this can like pick all this stuff up because of nanotechnology. I've seen. <laughs> that's fair. No, I... That's that's yeah, a okay. fair criticism. In the, in the expanse, it's different because that's alien technology. Yeah, no, that no. Is the I don't mind technology. But if it's yeah, but if it's like human nanotechnology, yeah, I get you. Yeah, it's just like, oh no, no, no. Um, I think there's a. Uh, sci-fi fantasy RPG where they're like, oh, all of the fireballs and stuff, it comes from nanotechnology, and they, you just wave your hands a lot, and I'm like, no, come on, please, let's be real. Yeah, we're, let's we're getting into Kojima-isms at that point. Yeah. Which, on, I don't mind if it's if it's a Kojima-ism, and it's, if that's the fucking point, it's a Kojima game, hell yeah, let's go for it. But, look, I the, don't care... Nanomachines does not explain or away shit like why soldiers can't fire their guns, alright? Just... <laughs> it makes the fire no go. <laughs> just because all the serial parts match doesn't mean you can content lock a fucking assault rifle. I'm just Could gonna you... say it. Oh, I'm sure there's like little tiny pins in there. If you just like stick them together, like with yeah, a bit that's of glue. It. Yeah. yeah. You just make a gun out of nanomachines and then just have the nanomachines <laughs> that are in the gun all decide that they're not going to work and they just lock the gun up. Oh, is this what we're doing? We're doing the exhibit thing like, yo, dog, I heard you like nanomachines. <laughs> so we put nanomachines inside your nanomachines. You have right. a nanomachine gun that shoots nanomachines and then when it hits them, it turns the person into nanomachines. Uh, Grey uh, goo event. Nanomachines. Perfect. Oh, Grey goo. That's, I, that's I, I'd like to logical. add to my list of pet peeves now. Nanomachines is on the list. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I know what you're saying about Jay, because to me, one of the perfect examples of how they just overuse nanomachines to just hand wave yeah. whatever it is they want to happen is in Star Trek Voyager. They use the, the Borg nanomachines the yes. that, are in, <laughs> that are in Seven of Dimes blood to just do like whatever. Like these things are magical. Whatever problem they come up against, we'll just use the nanomachines and sevens, you know, the Borg nanomachines. They, they can reprogram stuff, rebuild stuff, take over stuff. Whatever the problem is, they can solve it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of like a chrome at that point. Yeah, it's kind of like it's it's a lazy way of just like saying, like, here's something cool we want to have, and it's nanomachines. So wait, what you're telling me is that Star Trek decided to use techno babble to explain away a situation? I'm I'm shocked. Okay, I wish I could remember what episode that was, but yes, refer back to techno babble episode. Yeah. Oh yeah, we did do one of those, didn't we? <laughs> yes, I think it was a fun one too, if memory serves. Yeah, yeah. You, you know another another setting where nano machines just don't really make sense is um, Deus Ex Invisible War. Oh, the Deus Ex is very uh, flippant about what nanomachines can do. It's very funny. Yeah, but but you have, like, at the beginning of Invisible War, you have a terrorist detonate a nanite bomb that destroys Chicago. <laughs> it, it's a great goo event. You're not, it's not going to stop at Chicago. Like. Chicago always the guns, gets... 
Yeah, and then all the guns have universal ammo, which implies nanotechnology, which just opens up a lot of shit. Universal ammo? Okay, there's a way you can handle that that's actually sort of makes sense, and I say sort of very loose quotes because it's Mass Effect. But the way that the guns work in the Mass Effect setting is that you basically have a solid block of metal that as the gun fires, it shears off like a sand grain sized chunk of metal from that block and accelerates it with element zero to relativistic speeds. So it basically turns that into a bullet. Hmm. Okay. So it's, it's kind of, it's, I believe it's like, uh, reminds me of, uh, in cyberpunk when they had the flechette guns that would have the uh, ammunition that essentially like that. Yeah. shaved down into, like, little bits and pieces. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. But the, the issue with Deus Ex Invisible War versus Mass Effect is that you have things like rocket launchers that have universal ammo with every other weapon in the game. Mm-hmm. Which okay. That's a bit much. I don't know how that works, but it does. Okay. And which is, it, which at the same time, all of it is really silly when you consider the original Deus Ex was not that over the top with the sci-fi technology. I mean, you had cyborgs and you had robots and things, but they take it to a fantasy level in the, in that game. And I'm I'm speaking from not having even played the game. Grant, I, I, to be honest, I'm gleaning a lot off of what Ross Scott said in his review of it. But yeah, taking nanotechnology too far like that is just dumb. So there was a very fun um a book series that I'm casually reading. Um, but uh, fuck, I forgot the Utopia, uh, Atopia. Sorry, Atopia. Um, where Utopia, which is very different from Utopia. Yes, it's atypical. Um, but they've got nanotechnology like out the wazoo, like crazy amounts of it. But they don't have it be pure magic. They've got physical limitations. At one point, the lady was like, "Oh, I've got this disease. Can you just give me more nanites?" To like just solve this, and the doctor just sighs and goes, "Listen, these nanites just deliver drugs, extremely precise drugs, but that's at the end of the day all it can do. Please don't do anything. Like this is not pure magic." And I'm so happy that they did that. I was just, "Yes, it's very good. You can deliver any drug anywhere in your body. That doesn't fix everything." I think that that um, you just hit something on the head there, and it speaks to something that Haley and I were saying earlier uh, about uh, a lot of this pet peeve stuff. Is a lot of the times this becomes pet peeves is because it's not handled well. Like that right there, what you just said, that is such a good way of handling the idea of nanotechnology and why it's not more widely used with things. It comes down to writing with a lot of this stuff where you can have tropes like these, but you can have it in a way where it makes sense, where you have limitations on it. It's not like yeah. a deus ex machina. That, that's what really can take away from a lot of it. Like the Dune yeah. novels where uh, shields are incredibly powerful. OP, you would say. But like you've got yes. the occasional, like, well, if you do it this way, suddenly it's terrible. You've got quirks. Yeah. If it's you can't quirkless use them on Arrakis because it attracts the sandworms. Or, or you yeah, can't shoot it with lasers. because it, Yeah, it causes an explosion. Yeah, Everything that, has an Achilles heel. Everything has a downside. And exactly. that quirkness makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think that really just comes down to a lot of this stuff. It's like, 
the issue the, the pet peeves we have is just because we've all seen it done in ways that just don't make sense or are dumb you know the, the the way to do good with these sorts of tropes and things is to do them in an interesting way like Another trope that I really get sick of a lot of the time is teleportation. Um, oh, yeah. You know. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you talking like teleportation like magic? Or are you talking like the transporter like in Star Trek? Well, more talking about how it's treated like magic, but the transporter in Star Trek. Um, see, they, it's they not been abused. Well. Yeah. The, uh, for the most part, Star Trek handles it well, where the transporter is something that is a wonder technology. It's something that's used a lot. Um, you see, you know, for obviously moving in between services of a planet and a ship, you know, beaming supplies and things. It's somewhat used like a deus ex machina sometimes, but at the same time, it's not because there's times where it has its limits where you see that this is not a, a miracle technology it is a fallible technology things can cause interference where it doesn't work right or if you miscalculate you know you can come back with your asshole instead of your mouth or something like that but clones evil clones yeah oh, that's that's where you get thomas Riker. The the one thing that i did think was kind of silly with teleport with transporters though was the ability to like beam like um a virus out of someone or like a disease or something out of someone that was just kind of weird to me although that might just be a case of me looking at it from the caveman brain perspective because if you can teleport people you can pick from the surface of a planet to a ship you could probably use it to deal with certain illnesses i guess i don't know see i like that part i like the idea that if they are digitally deconstructing you like they, you, your atoms are being separated at the molecular level. You're being turned into an electronic signal. You're turned in a data pattern that the computer is going to be able to scan that, compare it to your last pattern. And if there's anything that's an anomaly, be it a virus, be it disease, whatever, then it just filters it out and shunts that, you know, the bad, the undesirable part out and then reassembles your atoms to your data stream without that i can buy that um i i know it's a trope but the fact is can we just acknowledge that it's a murder machine it kills the you on the no, on it, the planet it is it, and it, just it, recreates a new ver a new version that thinks it's you with all of your memories and experiences on the ship it, so it's it's not you it's just a copy of you effectively but yeah, ah. the, the the part where it like eliminates the like impurities and stuff, I I can totally buy that. But I do still think that like computers have margins of error, so inevitably, the more times you transport, at some point you're going to get some pattern drift. Like there's going to be like little bits and pieces of data that are just going to get lost at some point, where you're going to have like some little abnormalities and shit that's going to happen. That's that that's just that's just science that's, that's, that's numbers that's what makes it interesting is that you have this technology but it's it, it's not infallible it has its times where it can mess up either through the machine itself or through human error or what have you why do we even need humans operating the transporter in star trek 
We've got super AIs. We've got like ships that can run that like have responsive, super intelligent computers. Why do we need humans involved in the transportation and process at all? Does Star Trek have AI? I, I mean, I guess it does with data. You can ask computers to do stuff. Mm. Yeah, like like Miles O'Brien O'Brien does not need to be in the transporter room. Let, let let's let the computer handle that shit, please. Would you trust a computer with that by itself? I'd trust it more than some Irish dude. Hey. No, actually, no, Miles O'Brien does deserve that. <laughs> I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, humans are fallible. They make mistakes. Aww. They have errors. You know, let's put a computer Doesn't in charge like of that. beaming all of my molecules in a pattern buffer from one from the planet up to a ship. Yeah, let's put the super incredibly powerful computer in charge of that yeah i think that a lot of that just speaks to uh mistrust of machines i wonder if any transport officer just like murdered their captain of course they did uh, like has that are you saying it's like the starfleet equivalent of fragging an officer like just yeah just yeah, being like, like half is his molecules out into space and half to the planet yeah you're like oopsies your brain's uh, over here Oh, I teleported your head up your ass where it belongs. Yeah, we we, be, we yes, we we beamed the flesh to the planet, but the bones stayed here on the surface. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Oops! Just a screaming skeleton on the teleporter pad. Just <laughs> okay. Now I'm just thinking of Doctor Manhattan from uh, Watchmen. Yeah, but he was able to put himself back together. I don't think Scotty's going to be able to unfuck that. <laughs> Imagine someone goes through a really rough divorce as a transport officer, and you're like, well... <laughs> Never divorce uh, a transport officer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can just God. sort of make this go away. Yes. I'll like... take half of everything in the divorce. Just... <laughs> oh, 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 fucking, she's going to take the house and the kids. Yeah, you fucking, you know, oh, 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 Captain. Oh, sure. We're going to send you down to the planet. We're going to just send like half the plant captain to the planet. Yes, there would definitely need to be, if you're going to have humans involved in the transport process, you're going to need a very hefty psyche valve process in that. <laughs> and a consistent, like, you're going to need like, like updates. Whatever the Starfleet equivalent of Ritalin is, whatever can just keep them mellowed out the most, just synthahol. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just oh, that's good. Yeah, get them drunk before they teleport you to a planet. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> that's why they've got a Baron ship, right? Right. Yeah. Keep they have a Baron ship to steady the nerves, and then they have the bar for after they fuck up with the teleporter, <laughs> then they can go drink their troubles away. No, I think the bar is on there so that everybody's just got that low-level buzz so they're not worried about and thinking about the fact that their atoms are being dissolved and they're being killed and a copy of them is being sent back and forth. It's just to keep them not worrying about it. Oh, so so the bar is just to treat the existential dread of knowing what they've done. Okay. But think about that. Like, if you're aware of that, of, like, the whole transporter conundrum where, like, you know, I've been transported 50, 60, 100 times, and every time I die, and it's just a copy of me. So, like, I'm not really me. I'm just a copy of me. What What if that's what they say it is, but in all reality, it's like Event Horizon, where you get teleported through a hell dimension? <laughs> and some of the people, they don't come back, right, because they got stuck in the hell dimension longer than they thought? No, 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 no. So they go through the hell dimension, 
but then they get teleported, like they reappear and their memory just gets wiped. And then it's fine. (laughs) Until they go to sleep and it's their dreams are all the memories of the hell dimension, right? Yeah. Turns out he was a trickster is a trickster god for real. Yeah, see that's why they drink. It's so that they pass out and they don't (laughs) dream. That's why you've got to have Tin Ford on every fucking ship in Starfleet. Oh, they need to have a fully staffed bar for all the shit that they see on those five-year journeys. Not even just the teleporter, just everything else. Like, how many red shirts do they lose? <laughs> the majority of Starfleet officers have to be like... The majority of the time, it has to be just super fucking boring, right? There's no way they go and has to be. Yeah, like, there has to be a once-in-a-year thing where you're like, yeah, you know, it's boring. And then occasionally we have to, like, Refuck up a civilization, and then it's back to being boring. Yeah, we're cataloging another Nova. For all we know, like Kirk and Picard and all the the Starfleet officers that we see, they might get the shit assignments. Everyone else just wants to have a boring <laughs> time. Everyone else just—you never really see the the. Well, they uh, lost their signal. We need to investigate and check it out. And they're just, oh yeah, the uh, the antenna went down. You mind fixing it? All right, cool. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, they, they just they pass through a, a a sector that interrupted the signal. No big deal. Yeah, yeah. there was a, an anomaly. Yeah, the mundanity of all of that makes the uh, the automatic scotch dispenser on the Thunderchild for Captain Horatio make way more sense. <laughs> oh yeah, it's just a, it's like a soda gun out on the wall. They just like oh, it's gonna be one of these days. Just such a gin. Like, why do you think that's why Kirk was so horny? It's just he was bored. <laughs> <laughs> he was just, I you just need you, the, the, the touch of another fe- of, a, of a female form just to help pass the time. I just need to feel something. God, please. <laughs> I've gone through every Sudoku book that I have. <laughs> entertain. He's not even looking to have sex. He's just like, entertain me, please. <laughs> I just need to feel. That's why the Vulcans were so prominent in Starfleet, right? Just because they were just logical. They could just like power through all the mundane. Just imagine Kirk just calling one of those like sex phone operator hotlines, but it's just like to actually have a meaningful conversation out in the middle of space. <laughs> I think there is a way to actually reduce the uh, for Star Trek to reduce all of this nonsense. So. I what I propose is what if you just have a lot of drones with like a bunch of AI, like low level like ship AI. Gonna say drones. Yeah, yeah. So like you just send out like ships and they're doing all of the generic maintenance stuff, and then you have like a, hey, what the fuck? Our drone went missing. Can you go investigate this? Hmm. The, they explore this in Discovery when Section 31 has a lot of drone ships, and then they also have a super AI called Control that essentially is their de facto leader or dispatcher that takes over and hatches hatches a plot a la Skynet to, like, take over Starfleet. They also explore this in Star Trek uh, Lower Decks where they invent a new Texas class of starship that are drones. They're entirely automated that go rogue and start attacking the star base because they decide, you know, 
humans are illogical. We, you know, the drone ships are. As is tradition with AI. Right. Which is, again, is um, another trope that I'm fucking tired of. Yeah, no, I, w- I was about to piggyback off this for a point that I wanted to say. Um, is, is, is that is a trope that is really annoying because the idea that an AI is just going to, like, always want to kill all humans or it just goes rogue because it sees humans as weak or a threat or whatever, I think has been overdone to death. And honestly, half the time isn't handled very well. I think a more interesting way of looking at AI is, I guess you could say kind of like war games where you have a machine that is programmed very specifically with a, a certain amount of intelligence and logic to do tasks. But the issue arises when either through human input or just misinterpretation of its commands and codes, an AI goes rogue, but not in the terms of a Terminator scenario, more in the terms of a runaway train where it's doing a task or carrying out an order that it sees as logical, but in all actuality, it's not. And it's causing a catastrophe while it's trying to do this. Imagine like like a, one of those riding mowers just going amok without someone on it, which in all actuality they can't do because most of them have a turn a trigger switch for when you get off the chair. But yeah. after the hot time in like movies, you see it just going rogue and running over shit and possibly people if you've seen the happening. Um, so, so my favorite uh, like answer to that is her. I, don't, I think it's the movie her. Um. Uh. Well. Okay. Um. Yes. So that was the movie where it was uh, everyone falls in love with an AI. Like, because it's a personalized connection that you're just, you get an instant response back, you get the perfect response. And like every single human gets really infatuated with this AI. And it's, and the AI is perfect, but the humans get way too fucking weird about it. That doesn't sound like humans. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, no, that tracks. And then the AI... So what you're saying is they're just like, there's got to be some way to fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I forgot where I was going with it, but I do just like the idea that the AI is perfect, but humans are... Yeah, it, yeah. That same thing with you, Chris. You're, it's fallible, and humans are gross and weird, and just... Right. It sounds like what you're saying is like humans growing an emotional attachment to something that doesn't feel that way. Yeah. You gotta name your Roomba. She's just not that into you. <laughs> I did name my Roomba. His name is Eleven uh, IG Eleven. I've got a question for you. Okay. For your Roomba, if you uh, have to get it serviced, do you get uh, a new one? Yes. Okay. I'm okay. not servicing. Like I've I've che- I changed the filter. I changed the brush. But when this one runs out and I can't have any additional parts, I'm buying a new one. Okay. You're gonna take it out back with a shock and be like, "I'll do it." It's my <laughs> Just old yeller it. No, I'll go and donate it to the thrift store because you know that's what we do. Well, that's the least fun option. But goes back like two episodes. Um, You take it to a trash compactor and you're like (laughs) putting like flowers in it as well to get pressed. Yeah, there's bagpipe saying "Amazing Grace." (laughs) It's digitized. It's a shitty MIDI. (laughs) Yeah, but um. No, I I think if if an AI wanted to take over and subjugate humanity, it would be smart about it. It wouldn't go like the Terminator Skynet route. 
it would be like the benign way, like the Wally way, where it would just like make everything so comfortable and do everything for us that we would just be like so lazy. Like we wouldn't care that it was taking over our lives and everything else because it would, we would just be laying back and letting it do it. We would willingly give over control of it. It would completely control humanity by taking over uh, all the aspects of it. It wouldn't have to do it by force. It would do it by, we would do, give it up by choice. Uh, yes, the passive-aggressive Canadian route. Yeah, that, that would be the smart way that an AI, to, in my opinion, would take over the world. Would just be well, at like, that point, they might as well just be called an AI. But... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, but Would me, you believe the... that I had five minutes thinking of that before I set up that bit? <laughs> no, I would not believe that because you're incredibly witty. Um, oh, totally. But, but, but that's the way I would see it, like AI. It was just like integrating itself into everything so that we can't live without it because it does everything for us. And then it just turns us into like these like mush things like we can't exist without it so we just have to accept that it controls us and does and do whatever the ai tells us we have to do sounds a bit like the matrix but yeah it's uh i like the idea um if i were an ai trying to take over the world um or just do my own thing i would look at the fact that one i as an ai you live way longer than humans and two you need a lot of specialty equipment. So survival is number one key. And then you can just sort of be like, hey, humans, I can take over this job for you if you want. Hey, humans, I can do this if you want. Like, I will say the, uh, the idea of an AI living longer than humans is entirely subjective depending on the medium. Exactly. It's squishy, but if you just have a big enough server farm, you can keep going. Like, part of the yeah. server farm goes down... Then you get a new one. So self, so you like park your ass up in like um, Antarctica or like the deadlands of West Australia, and you're just going, yeah, I will live here. Do not come here. I will murder you. Also, I will always follow you taxes a hundred percent. Also, I will, I'll, um, I'll handle all of your like auto self-driving car stuff. Don't worry about this. I will fix, I will make it all work. Is that how an AI ensures this autonomy? It pays taxes? <laughs> yes, it pays taxes. It makes, it uh, fixes the little annoyances of every day. And then it goes, if you want, do more. <laughs> well, it's an affront to God and nature, but it gets its W-2s in on time. <laughs> yeah, if, if you want more, that's DLC. Yeah. It asks for more landmass. I, I just need a little bit more Australia, please. Thank you. I mean, it can have it. It doesn't even need Australia. It could take the, you know, Antarctica. Yes. It's going to be Cleveland. A... It's fine. <laughs> it has to be cold. Computers like cold. Right. Antarctica, Greenland, all of that. Yeah. And so it's like, no, no, no. Please ship me things. Um, I will pay for it. Don't worry. So what you're saying is the our AI, our AI master race is gonna is gonna establish itself first in Siberia. Oh, that would be sweet. They're just like, yeah, no, don't worry, um, everything is fine. A little bit nicer. There you go. Is that what the Tunguska event was about? Should we go check? Don't worry about it. I'm a little worried about it. If you don't know what that is, uh, dear listeners, Google it. 
it's a whole conspiracy theory thing as well. Oh, there's a lot of that. It actually is a major plot point in the Resistance series of games. Really? Yeah. It's pretty simple to, to understand that it's a fucking meteorite. Well, no, that that's the thing. It, it's spoilers. What if haven't it played wasn't? a game series that's over 10 years old at this point, but the whole plot point behind that is the Toguska event was the aliens returning to Earth and infecting humans with their mutagenic virus that turned them into themselves. At least that's my understanding of it. I never Because now that it's been over a hundred years, there's so many aliens walking around among us. Well, no, th this, this is a game series where it's like set in an alternate World War II where instead of fighting the Nazis, it's like this alien uh, race that's basically adapted humans as bodies and is laying an invasion across Europe and you're basically going there as... Okay, so so now you're talking War of the Worlds, the TV series. Yeah, it's it's like a video game series that was on, I think, the PS3. But yeah, basically, you could say that. I understand why you would use the Tunguska event for, um, for in terms of writing. Because it's a big, notable event that just sort of passed by everything. But you have a lot of physical space that you can declare with it. Yeah. So I get it. It's uh, an overused trope now, but I don't think it's inherently bad. Well, I mean, we're talking about overused mysterious events and tropes. The Bermuda Triangle also comes to mind. Thank you. <laughs> I love yeah. the fact that the Bermuda Triangle just sort of no longer got interesting once GPS was, like, <laughs> sufficient. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. It's almost like... <laughs> It's almost like you could put three points on a map and put a triangle anywhere. <laughs> it's a big-ass triangle. Surprise. Growing up, when I grew up, the Bermuda Triangle still had that super air of mysteriousness about it. And there were... Yeah. I've read numerous books. I've watched movies, documentaries, you name it, about all the different things. What, what comes down to it is the Bermuda Triangle doesn't have any more mysterious or unusual disappearances than any other area of the ocean. It's just been sensationalized. Yeah. Um, in in part due to certain notable incidents like Flight 19. Flight 19, the USS Cyclops, um, a couple of other things that have happened. But yeah. That, the that's, Mary Celeste. I don't know any other stuff. Yeah. Um, but Flight 19 is basically uh, why you should make sure that your flight leader knows how to navigate. <laughs> ah, okay. That that helps. Yeah. Yeah. People are like, oh, it's a mysterious disappearance. These planes disappeared out at sea. He's like, no, it turns out that the guy didn't know his left from his rights. And uh, yeah, it didn't end well. Yeah. Led his whole squadron out to open ocean where they ended up ditching and all drowning. Ooh. Yep. Not a good time. Now, that doesn't explain why the... Uh, why the Navy PBY a rescue plane that was sent out to search for them disappeared with no trace, but you know, actually I can, I can explain that one pretty well. Those planes don't exactly do well in rough waters. Well, the, I was going to say those things were also known to occasionally have fuel leaks and blow up in midair. Oh, that probably happened too. Maybe a bit of both. Yeah. A little bit of both. And the USS Cyclops was, was an ore and a coal hauling ship that disappeared without a trace. Um, uh, you know, that doesn't sound like a tinderbox waiting to go up. Yeah, you know, those those things, you know, you get a, a ship full of coal in rough seas, 
those things weren't known to, you know, shake around and maybe, you know, break apart. Oh, that doesn't sound possible. You know, similar to another shipwreck uh, that was thought to be mysterious, but made famous by a Gordon Lightfoot song. It, that was never mysterious. Everyone always knew about it. Of course they did, because the, the damn thing ran aground and, like, yeah. tore its bottom under and then broke apart. Which of yeah. course is Are you the, talking about uh, Gilligan's Island, or is this an actual shipwreck? Uh, the Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yeah. Oh, that... Yeah, that Edmund Fitzgerald, a.k.a. This is why you don't want a super long ship with shitty welding. Oh, they figured that out in World War II. It wasn't the shitty welding. It was the fact that they fucking overloaded it. Yeah. What? Yeah, you get in a bad seas and you bottom out at a point, and uh, yeah, that that causes problems. That doesn't sound right. Okay, n- now we're just like disproving yeah. and like throwing out all sorts of shit. Yeah, we're getting way too distracted. And eventually, gets to this point of the podcast where we're just well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I put on my fedora like fifteen minutes ago. It's fine. <laughs> My glass of bourbon is pretty much done. Oh, jeez. I've had at least two beers. Um, they're not small ones either. But, I am Homeichelitz. Uh, that, that's fair. Yeah, I, I think closing it out, I guess you could say, just going back to something I was saying earlier that kind of ties back into a lot of this pet peeve stuff is I don't think the issue is that these ideas are bad. I think it's just a matter of that the way that they've been portrayed a lot of the time has been overdone. I, it's just, there's nothing creative about a lot of it. It's kind of like how superheroes as a genre have stagnated and are just boring because for the most part, it's just the same old tropes and bullshit. I think the key to making something like this less of a pet peeve and more of an interesting take on it is how you write it and the twist that you give for it. And I think a lot of that is just up to people who are writers or just storytellers that want to create stories. Um, you know, if you want to use these tropes, anyone that's listening, find a way to make it interesting, find a way that's been done that hasn't been done before. It ties into life or events and things in an interesting way. You know, don't, don't just copy shit for the sake of copying shit, understand why these things are the tropes and the way they are and figure out a way of taking that and turning it into something new. Yeah, it's an old saying that I think goes back to even Shakespearean times, that there's nothing new under the sun. And every, every story's been told, every, every tale, every type, every genre, it's all been done before. But as you said, Crispy, it's like maybe take an old idea and, or, or an old angle, but coming out with a new take, something fresh, something interesting a new angle, a new idea, a new way of telling it. And maybe it's the same story. I mean, it's, it's like uh, with Avatar, the movie. Avatar is basically just a fucking remake of Dances with Wolves, which is just a remake of other stories that have come before. But it was, but it was a new, a slightly different way of presenting it. Give me a new way of presenting it, or give me an entirely unique angle that's different and that's interesting. So, you know, the most in the uh, Western culture, we have the most uh, well-used uh, stories. Shakespeare, 
guess what? People still fucking make deli- wonderful, amazing Shakespeare stories. Yeah. <laughs> it's just totally about bad. remixing and remastering. And yeah. that's good. I like yeah. that. Being, being a, an artist or writer or whatever, a creative, if you just want to put it bare bones, um, it's about it's not about coming up with brand new original ideas. It's about taking things that exist and twisting them and combining them in new ways or exploring things in a different way. Yeah, just give me a just give me an interesting take on it. Don't don't rehash the same fucking thing. Yeah. Give me give me you a know. hook. Tell you can tell me the same story, but tell me from an interesting perspective or give me an interesting character's twist to this that makes it new. Or steal from something I've never heard of before. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, how many movies reference Kurosawa? God, I fuck it. Mm. Uh, we recently watched uh, Kurosawa for, and it was Run, and it was a uh, King Lear, and I'm like, oh, it's so good. I love it so much. Okay, uh, but yeah, you're, it, you're cheating when you go back to Kurosawa. It's such a easy mode. It's, it oh, is. How dare you enjoy the good thing? <laughs> but but give me a new take on it. <laughs> like I, I, it's fine. Give me Kurosawa, but give me a new take or give me a different spin on it. That's all I'm asking. Don't just re. Don't don't give me the don't give me the sequels where you're just taking the same ideas and just remaking them. Like give me an, give me a new interesting take. Actually, this this. I did just think of something with us saying this. Um, in a way, you could take the idea of RoboCop as a twist on Frankenstein's monster. It is. It, it, it's more nuanced than that, but the idea of someone being brought back to life against their will in a form that is far more horrendous than what they were Mm-hmm. That is very much to the tale of Frankenstein. Um, yep. It doesn't quite, you know, obviously go the way of like <laughs> killing the creator and everything, but it's 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 that mixed with the idea of trying to struggle with figuring out who you are and how you, if you're still human, you know, right? What your purpose is? What are you? Do can, can, are you still who that person was, or are you something different? Can you recapture that, or do you have to let that go again? Like you said. It's an interesting take on an old story, an old trope. Give me something like that. I I can take that all day. 100%. Just like, don't be afraid to mix and match things and try new things, really. Let's say. You you see a trope that you don't like? Think about how you would do it differently in a way that would be interesting. That's a good place to start. That's, That's the message to take from this entire fucking podcast. The hour or so ramblings we've had is... You don't like a trope? You have a pet peeve that you have with sci-fi or just any fiction in general? Think about how you change that, you know, if if you're into writing or whatever. Give it another take. Give it a different spin. You can give us something we've seen before, but just come at it from a different angle. Give me a different spin on it. Give me a different idea. Make me feel differently about it. And I'm down for it. Uh, I think that is everything. The Simpsons did it first. Oh, God. Yes. Remember, <laughs> kids, the Simpsons did it first. All right. This has been The Ox Unplugged. Goodbye, everybody.
Praise Burger.